So as a framing device for a story of Tuvok once again sort of maybe falling in love with random guest star of the week, but stopping himself from consummating the the relationship because he has a wife back in the Alpha Quadrant who he will probably never see again. I'm not really sure why they chose young Tuvok as an angry black man. Yeah, I mean... These seem, in a way, it seemed like they have, okay, we've got a Tuvok B plot, we're learning this little bit about his past, and we've got a Tuvok A plot, and it's about him meeting this woman and working on survival shit with her and falling in love, and they couldn't find an A plot to the B plot or a B plot to the A plot, so they just kind of put them both together because they're both Tuvok-themed. Yeah, and and I think that's kind of exactly what happened. It, it it doesn't really link up with the actual story of this episode in any real way other than yeah. shoehorned into this idea that Tuvok was against logic when he was younger and then recommitted to it because he was in love with an alien. And I, I don't... I. It's fine. I mean, as a backstory, it's fine. But it doesn't actually have much to do with the actual plot of Gravity. Yeah, and see, I thought they were going to do the at least the very simple way of listen lady whose name i don't remember but was in orange as the new black um many years ago i didn't i let my emotions get the better of me and i was very young and you know then i went with my mentor and i learned the ways of logic and i am very committed to that path and i mean this is there this is a perfect opportunity for him to just in universe acknowledge that He's been thinking about that, and that would be a very simple way to tie the two episodes to, to the two plots together a little more tightly. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I think that like there's there's some parts of it that that work obviously, and some parts that don't. I mean, I I appreciate the flashbacks. I, yeah. I, I think they're interesting, and I'm always. I mean, I'm a sucker for Vulcan mysticism. I think anybody that yeah. has listened to this podcast for a long time knows that I'm a sucker for Vulcan mysticism. And I I don't know what what actor is playing the the older Vulcan, the mentor, but he does a very good job of playing a Vulcan in a way which, as we have always said, indicates that Vulcans have emotion they just don't act on it because emotions are erratic in terms of vulcan physiology like that all that all works for me it's fun it's amusing but like as you said there would have been a better way to link it up with the actual events of this episode and i think what's more than that it it as i recall i mean I, i may be misremembering it but but i think that there's only what three flashbacks right there's one in the very beginning of the episode then there's a very brief one in the middle and then there's one at the end and it 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 kind of feels very tacked on and the rest of the episode it it just i mean the fact that the the fact that the voyager doesn't appear until like 24 25 minutes into the episode yeah the fact that it has these flashbacks that are sort of disjointed with the rest of the episode and then the actual episode itself is kind of disjointed because you're never really sure who this episode is about it all kind of just adds this air of this episode was kind of thrown together and i'm not saying it doesn't work i actually like this episode but yeah it's kind of amazing that it works as well as it does yeah i i, I think these flashbacks do do a good job of explaining who this character of tuvok is in a way that makes sense and goes with everything we've seen before i really i'm very with you on the vulcan mysticism uh the way that this guy in particular teaches um so is this the colonar is this what's happening no! Ah, oh, damn it! I thought I, I thought I had gotten a thing. 
No, they, there's so many Vulcan <laughs> rituals, dude. You don't even have any yeah. idea. Like, I don't know how many there are, but they keep and they keep making new ones. I don't know why yeah. they keep like, yeah, oh, this is the Vulcan ritual of Kantar Falpa, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's like they don't want to look up the rituals or write down the names, so they just keep inventing new ones. Um, but. It's very clear from the way this guy is teaching at the beginning when he is saying that, yes, no, I do feel emotions. And at the end, he's all, well, you're free of emotions now. I think the mentor even knows that's bullshit. It almost seems like the kind of – this is the moment when 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 Tuvok went through that experience as a teenager. I think he believed, all right, this is it. Emotions are done. I, I've, I've triumphed over that. And now at this moment when Tuvok is – isolated and feel even more isolated from his life than he had been because this is not only the delta quadrant this is a pocket dimension in the delta quadrant this is very far from home uh and emotions are getting the better at him and i think he is re-examining this experience and getting a very different lesson out of it this time uh which i think is an interesting take on that because i think that is how spiritual teachings kind of do work you learn the lesson but then you keep relearning different facets of it if there is a any real depth to that yeah and i actually think that that's really smart because one of the things that that has always been a through line with vulcans all throughout the 50-year history of star trek is that they don't purge emotion and then they're done, right? They, they yeah. don't go through the colonar and they're done. In fact, most Vulcans never go through the colonar. In, in, in the motion picture, when Spock had his aborted attempt at the colonar at, at the beginning of the movie, that was portrayed as something that most Vulcans did yeah. not do. And it was it was kind of taken from a place of, you know, this is 10 years after the original series. Spock is looking for a purpose and he is looking to really recommit to, to being a Vulcan. And so he's going to do this really elaborate thing that not many Vulcans do. And, and so it makes sense that Tuvok would, would have this and sort of be, I think, you know, I'm never really sure if we're supposed to think that tu, that Tuvok is actually looking back at this moment in his past, or if it's just context for us as a viewer, I, I tend to think it's the latter and not the former. I, I think but, maybe we are also intended to possibly think that this is what he shows her in the mind meld in the end. Yeah, that yeah, that could be as well. And and Vulcans are very strange. And I, I say that not because like more I guess well more singular than strange. Mm. You know, most alien species in Star Trek are not like this they don't attempt to control their emotions in this manner and most alien species don't understand them and so especially in the delta quadrant especially with a a person like naz who doesn't have any direct experience with the vulcans and tuvok is the first you know the first vulcan she's ever met she's going to have a very different reaction to them and i think yeah, if Tuvok is showing this portion of his life is 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 kind of like helping her a little bit and kind of understanding who he yeah. is and why he has these walls up and why he feels uncomfortable letting someone else in, it it is because of that reason. And you know, I think the other thing here too is that this is completely consistent with 
Tuvok. You know, Tuvok was portrayed way back in like flashback, for instance, when we realized or, or kind of it was established that he had this other career in Starfleet and as a science officer and then left for years and years and years, decades, and had a whole other life and then decided to come back to Starfleet as a tactical officer. Tuvok is always a little bit unfinished. And yeah. I, I like that as a character beat for him. He is... He's kind of like the sad sack version of a Vulcan. And and I'm not saying that to be funny. It's just more like there's a there's a real core of of kind of like longing or searching on his part. And I don't think Tuvok has ever really felt comfortable or felt like he's had a community anywhere. And well, he always seems to be a little bit outside of everything. Well, well that to me sounds like Vulcans in general. I mean... Spock has, during the events of the original series, uh, a purpose and a very dear and close friendship to him. But, a- a- as you say, after the events of the original series, he is desperately searching for his purpose in life. And let's talk about timelines. Uh, th- Spock is so much longer lived than Kirk that this is almost the equivalent of my best friend in college kind of a thing to him. I mean, it's somebody that you spent some years with, spent a long time with, but is ultimately just a small portion of your life. Uh, Sarek is somebody who, I mean, marries the same woman twice, essentially. he is. There is some very, I mean, that to me, it speaks of something very specific that he's trying to fulfill in his own life. Uh, Maybe this 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 need for a purpose and need for some kind of belonging, which, again, none of the Vulcan characters have because they are fish out of water in their own way. Um, I mean, maybe that is something about the Vulcan condition. Maybe there is this weird ennui to them. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I would be curious. I've never actually looked, and I'm, I'm making note for myself to, to look for this later. I, I, I wonder if, like, a psycho um, psychoanalyst yeah. or, or a therapist has ever written about Vulcans, like someone who is a Star Trek fan and also I've... a therapist. And I would be fascinated to read it because I think that yeah. I'm always kind of on the fence. Like, once you start talking about Vulcans, and this episode in particular is a perfect example of that, is this actually emotionally healthy is this psychologically good i don't know and star trek and even in this episode you know they they once again repeat the idea that vulcan emotions are singularly powerful that they are singularly dangerous that there is something about the physiological nature of vulcans that makes their emotions erratic that makes their emotions dangerous i don't know what the evolutionary purpose of such emotions mm. would be I, you know i don't i don't really understand that but i don't have to it's a science fiction show yeah. But I do think that there is something to be said for the idea embodied in this episode that in within Vulcan society, it has been established for, as we, you know, we're not sure, but hundreds and hundreds of years that the teachings of Surak have saved Vulcan society and that they have really had to control their emotions in order to, uh, you know, save themselves as a people. And that has elevated them to great heights. It has taken them to space. They have this wonderful, rich culture with this mysticism. They are, you know, revered and long lasting, a founding member of the Federation, you know, one of the most powerful, you know, polities in the galaxy. But at the same time, 
Tuvok is waylaid by this alien. And she's a very pretty alien. She seems very personable. They seem to have a great dynamic. She seems smart. Like, there's a lot of good things going yeah. on here. But but what is at the core of Tuvok is that once you start suppressing your emotions, you still have emotional needs. And he feels, I think, a great sense of of, of shame and guilt for feeling them. And... I don't know that Tuvok has come to terms with that, and I don't know if Vulcans come to terms with that. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's an alternate universe version of this episode where the flashbacks are of him with his wife, right? And that and that juxtaposed against this makes it a case of well, deep down, no matter what the only woman for Tuvok is his wife and everybody, you know, nobody else is going to, he is never going to love every, anybody else. And, but yeah, this is, he is not going to be able to love anybody else because that very act of love would be destructive to him, to the person, to everybody. It would ruin everything. And it is only in his marriage that he is, that, that, that is a kind of safe love in a way. Yes, but I, I, but I also and, think that there. Yeah, I mean, I, well, there's there's sort of a, a you know there there's a flip side of that, which is sort of like queer people marrying the opposite sex or something. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but yeah. I think it's there. Like it's trying to force yourself into a predetermined belief system or a predetermined you know acceptable way to live your life and. I don't know that that's always the case. I mean, yeah, it could just be once again that Tuvok is singularly troubled. You know that 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 is very possible, and yeah, he just might be someone who is never completely going to be satisfied with where he is. I don't know. Yeah, you get a hundred other Vulcans in there, and they say, "Well, we're you know, logically we are stuck here forever," and uh. This woman is a very good companion for me, and I will never see my wife, and she has already grieved, so to move on with her is is just logical. I mean, that that may be many – there may be such thing as happy-go-lucky Vulcans who take the opportunity that they see. Yeah, that is very true, and I, I, I think that, you know, Vulcans, as we've talked about in the past, are are pretty difficult to, to play well, to act well, and – I think Tim Russ does a great job of it. I think also sometimes Vulcans get a little bit of a bad rap as being wooden because so many actors yeah. can't pull it off, frankly. But no, well, Voyager well, has... I feel Voyager has done the Vulcans a lot of justice. I really like the... And again, it's largely through Tuvok, but I really like how well the show understands Vulcans. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, that if nothing else, you know, Voyager, there, there's a few things that I think Voyager is, is going to be remembered for. And really delving into the Vulcans again in a very deep and real way is, is one yeah. of them because Star Trek stayed away from it for so long, starting with TNG, because they were scared to deal with it, frankly, because Spock, 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 you know, and they just didn't yeah. want to deal with it. And Voyager had enough distance from that that they were able to delve back into it. And Klingons as well. well. It is both you know, in Balana a little much lesser than Vulcan certainly, but the show is not doing a deep subversive deconstruction of these two, but it does have a very particular and different angle on on them that I really like. Uh after Balana is a fresh take on on Klingons after Worf that 
who knew that we would be able to get another angle on on that as well. It 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 it, it, yeah. it understands. It doesn't quite do as much twisting of the world as DS9 did, but I think Voyager understands the world of Star Trek the a little better than maybe it gets credit for. No, I would agree with that for sure. Well, let, let's talk about Naz then a little bit because, you know, I, I don't know that there's a ton to say about her, which is a little bit of a problem. She she is a little bit of a, I don't know if I would call her a Mary Sue, but she's definitely inching into that territory. Well, uh, I'll be honest, none of my notes are about her. So that's, that's an indication on what my take on her role in the episode, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's fair because that's yeah. kind of how I'm leaning too. I, I don't think that she's much of a presence in the episode. You know, like I said earlier, she's smart, she's attractive, she learns English, you know, all these kind of things. But she's theirs, and this is a problem. I don't know this isn't necessarily a sexist thing. It's more just a thing that television shows have to do, which is that the the love interest is never as interesting as the main character because they're not the main character. Yeah. And if if your episode is not about a main character, what is it about? It's very difficult to make an episode. Like, if this episode was about Naz, maybe it would have been really good, but I don't think so. Yeah, but, I mean, to, at the same exact, at the same time, I mean, the next episode has a guest character who is a, in terms of screen time, doesn't have a ton, but he has a very strong presence. You can, Naz could have been a strong presence, in, stronger presence in this episode. I mean... There are plenty of examples of strong secondary love interest characters. It's it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I can see that, but but I also think that that part of it is the the woman that Tuvok was you know sort of attracted to in the previous version yes. of this episode was also sort of a non entity in the in her own episode. Like she was sort of just kind of there, and and maybe the maybe the show is trying to say something about the types of women that Tuvok is attracted <laughs> to, which is that. He he's the Vulcan. He would be attracted to like sort of quiet, emotionally distant women. I I don't well, I don't think that that's outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, we I I really can't wait to talk about the quick scene with his wife in the next episode because I thought that was one of the most fascinating scenes in the series so far. But uh, I really fucking Whoa. loved that scene. Okay. No, I thought that was really cool. But um, yeah, like. It, I, I doubt that they have long animated conversations, uh, Tuvok and his wife, but they know everything they're thinking. They are are very simpatico, and yes, he can feel this. With, he, he, there is an amount of that with Naz as well. I, I think so, and I again, I mean, to wrap back around to the to the mind meld scene, I, I, I do think that that's another element to it which is that yes Tuvok is using that as an opportunity to communicate to Naz why he can't return her her feelings or her affection but he's also using that as an opportunity to demonstrate to her how he feels about her because I think it's pretty obvious that Tuvok at least likes her to some degree and he is struggling with his emotions in this episode I I think that you know, Tom Paris, for instance, where he does his sort of like, you know, speak, yell thing where he's berating people and he <laughs> thinks that that's a form of uh, that's that's a form of of, uh, of communication word um, <laughs> communication. And he thinks that that's a, a form of communication or a form of, you know, I am going to convince someone of something uh, that doesn't work. But I don't know. It's like. 
you could easily make this episode without Tom Paris or without the doctor. And I know why they didn't, because once again, they would have been remaking that previous episode where Tuvok yeah. fell in love with another woman. But I kind of wish they had, because that's the one problem with this episode as I see it, is that Naz is a non-entity. Their relationship is a non-entity. And I don't know that I really buy this this relationship. Certainly Tuvok or not Tuvok, because Tuvok isn't real, certainly Tim Russ is doing an adequate job of, of portraying this relationship, but it's never quite real enough for me to think that he's going to actually want to follow through with any of this. Yeah, I mean, in his way, we'll go Freudian, and Tom is obviously the super, the id in this case, and I think there is, I think it is fair to say that Tom would be on the, hey, well, you know, you're stuck here forever, and she's really into you. Why not? And uh, so there is, I mean, that's, I guess, his function in this. Um, Maybe it is the kind of thing where we buy that Tuvok and Naz are attracted to each other because uh, Tom Paris keeps loudly insisting that it's so. I mean, he could. Yeah, in a way, yeah, he's kind that, of the laugh track to this. Like, like we, he, we're, we're basing our emotions, taking his cues. True, true. Yeah, I think that's actually really smart. And and I guess the other part of it too is that Tom Paris is there to like berate Tuvok for basically saying, "Look, you know, we are going to be here forever. We are not going to get rescued." And then, of course, twenty minutes later, they get rescued. But. Tuvok, as a Vulcan, lives for a long time. He is like a hundred years old, but he's only middle aged. You know, he's probably going to live for another hundred years at yeah. least. Uh, this is not going to seem like the end of the world to him, even if he, even if they have to take the full seventy years to get back to the Delta Quadrant, which they already haven't done because they've gone twenty thousand yeah. light years in five years. Um, it is the case that he is going to see his wife again at some point, unless he dies in a horrible accident or she dies in a horrible accident. So there, there is a sense that I think Tom Paris doesn't quite realize to what degree Tuvok is okay just chilling for like 70 years. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder if that is uh, – have they gone into that much about Tuvok wondering if his wife has moved on? Because Especially prompted with uh, Mark's Dear John letter to Janeway uh, – I wonder if Tuvok thinks his wife is staying behind or has assumed he's died. I mean, by this point, I, I don't, by this point, obviously she knows he's alive or at least was alive as of six months ago, but yeah, I'm not sure. And, and I also don't know if, I mean, I was about to say Tuvok would, wouldn't care. Of course he would care if his wife left him, but Vulcan relationships, like I don't know, take your pick, make something up. It it probably wouldn't have it wouldn't affect him as much as you might think it would. No, it's true. It's not as if whoever she ended up remarrying would have a problem with him seeing his kids or spending time with her. It's very logical that you would still have attachments to each other, kind of a thing. I mean, I this I, I've always kind of thought this, but like, wouldn't you maybe think that that Vulcans would would be polyamorous or something? Like, doesn't it just seem like the kind of thing that Vulcans would do? <laughs> Logically, it makes sense in order for infinite diversity and infinite combinations for one's genetic material to be spread among, yeah, something like that. 
Yeah, exactly. I I kind of like, you know, it's that sort of thing where you sort of reimagine what Star Trek could be like in the 21st century if it had been created now. And yeah, polyamorous Vulcans. Sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we should move on to bliss. But I have one other comment to make about gravity. Uh, I would love to know why Naz had about 500 candles when she crash landed on that planet. Because she's goth. Is she is she is she making them? I mean, she might be goth. Like, is she making them from like the fat of the spiders? Like, I don't. Get I, it. I was gonna say, do spiders even have enough fat to make a candle? Those spiders look pretty juicy, so I'm gonna say yes. Yeah, but that's that's like juice, not f- oil. Spider oil is not a thing. <laughs> I'm really glad I already ate dinner. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about Bliss, but before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you, yes, even you listening to this podcast in the car, pay attention to the road, that this podcast is listener-supported. Please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, check out our reward tiers, and give now. Okay, let's talk about Bliss, which is a much less successful episode than Gravity, Oh, I, I, and one that I found kind of boring. I thought this was a great bad episode. Like, I know this isn't a good episode, but I really liked this one. I I don't yeah, know. The, you might have to. I don't know. I guess the the level of creepy to it hit me and it just hit me right. It's during the early stages of it when they are, um, you know, super like, yeah, Alpha Quadrant. I don't know. I thought everybody was playing it the right degree of something is really fucking wrong and the, that growing horror especially i mean this is in some ways a follow-up to one uh this is it, j- just as gravity was a remake of that episode where tuvok fell in love with that one lady this is a remake of seven of nine is by herself and has to solve a problem with the ship and instead of everyone else being unconscious everybody else is affected by uh, the happy beam or whatever this whatever is the, the exact reasoning of it is this creature's uh seductions and i don't know i liked that um i really liked the bit when they're flashing to everybody's you know bliss dreams and then they're just lying there unconscious i thought that was a really creepy scene and like i said i loved that tuvok scene because it is it cuts away just before they start animal fucking, and it was just a really – I don't know. I, I thought that worked for me. That is a very – I like Vulcan emotions, and I think we were seeing it cutting off just before it became too hot for TV in that way. I don't know. It worked for me. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, well, like, because we've – that little two-finger touch that we do, we, I, I, I like how the sh- – Particularly with Sarek, the franchise plays with that. Again, in Journey to Babel. To be clear, to be clear, Tuvok and his wife do the two-finger touch. We do not do the two-finger touch. You said we. Oh, we? I did. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, like with the way that it is in Journey to Babel, with um, how it conveys all of that emotion to Amanda, how she – it does – recognize that this is Sarek's expression of emotion and again uh repeated with uh Perrin in uh Sarek's episode in Next Generation um 
And I like how they greet each other very formally before before that Vulcan formality is starting to melt away. Uh, again, particularly in the in the context of gravity, I thought that was a nice payoff to that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not averse to to seeing Tuvok and his wife uh, getting it on, um, and I think that it's a nice scene. But I, I I guess for me, what it comes down to is that Bliss is very well executed, but doesn't really add up to much. And you know, this is a, this is a point that we get to sometimes yeah. with television, especially that we've talked about Star Trek Voyager, like these people know what they're doing in terms of the production staff. They have been doing this since 1987. A lot of them, they have been, yeah. you know, Star Trek has been consistently being made on the Paramount lot for 12. No, like, yeah, for like 11, 12 years at this point, they, they've got this down, you know, even, even an episode like this, which is just sort of like, okay, they're going to do some cool stuff. They're going to pull off some stuff. They're going to make it seem creepy. They're going to elevate it in some fashion, but I guess I've seen this before, and and maybe this is my uh, not not fatigue, but sort of like yeah. my 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 experience with Star Trek because I have seen this done before. I have seen it done better, and it's just kind of like okay. I mean, perfect example. I mean, you know, you mentioned this is a, a remake of one. We don't need a remake of one. Yeah. We just watched it like three months ago. Um, do we really need another episode where Seven of Nine has to rely on her own wits to prove to the audience, metaphorically, that she is now an individual? I guess. I don't have a problem with it necessarily. No. And this, but, but the episode has a lot of promise and then it just sort of like collapses because it turns into a very boring remake of Galaxy's Child or something. Yeah. No, it, it... We are dealing, and again, we always come to this with. I much, I very much. While I don't always like the heavily serialized nature of prestige television, I like that. I do like ten to fifteen episode seasons. We, we, if we, if we could wave a wand and trim all of the fat from Star Trek, yes, uh, Bliss would probably not make the cut. I think. Um, I but I but I do think that that other episodes like this would make the cut. I mean, yeah, very famously or infamously, depending on her point of view. I love the episode The Royale from the second season of TNG. Is that a good episode? No. Is it is it even a decent episode? No, it's actually kind of terrible. But I love it. Well, uh, I just don't think that this is ki- that kind of episode. We have always, I think you've always, uh, and, and I agree myself, appreciated a an interesting failure to a by the numbers success. I, I, that is just your taste. Yeah, and yeah, I, 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 I definitely see that. The Royale, yes, is not a great episode, but. It's a bad episode in a way that no other episode really is. It's trying to do something different. It doesn't want to stick to the formula. Voyager in general is a lot more formula show. And I think that's why you love DS9, because it's not the formula. It's very much not the formula. In a lot of ways, Voyager is 
it's a network Star Trek yeah. show, but literally and figuratively. I mean, that is that is what it is. Uh, and there is a reason why in the year 2018, I don't watch a lot of network television because it's all very formulaic. It's all yeah. very it's all very competently done. It's well executed, but it's boring. It's pop music. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pop yeah, music. I, mean, it's, I it's, just it's made for it's made for people in the suburbs to sit on their couch and waste their lives. I mean, that's what it's for. Yeah. Um, I just happen. Wow, to I, fun- sound, I sound very judgy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I no, Eric, you sound very judgy all the time. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. I appreciate it. No, Thank you, Richard. I, yeah, yeah. I was worried that I was losing my head. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trust me. Um. We are. Uh, listen, we have never been nice to the suburbs or to the straits, and it's okay. We're, we're, we, we are still on brand. Okay, good, good. But yeah, I mean, it's a, like I said, yeah. this is this is fine. It's okay. I I don't know really. I, yeah, it's just. I mean, this is kind of defeating me in a way. Like I just don't know where to go with this because. We've talked about all this stuff before. Jerry Ryan does a really good job playing Seven of Nine. The entire cast is unconscious, and the Doctor gets a chance to shine. Oh, look, there's a crazy alien. Like, it's all okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, I... I, 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 And I don't feel like I have a ton to talk about this episode either. It's not a... It's certainly not a deep episode. This is... Again, maybe just a really good three-minute dance song, you know? It's not going to change the world, but it's catchy, and it's got a good beats, and I could shake my ass to it. I don't know, though. I, I, I don't think that this is that kind of thing. I mean, this is more just... This isn't a pop song, necessarily. This is like a... I don't even know. Like, it's just not good. It's It's very... There's this term, right, in culture. So there's highbrow and lowbrow, and there's middlebrow. And this is sort of like the middlebrow of the lowbrow. <laughs> like, it's 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 aspiring to be something better than it is, but what it is at its core is it's lowbrow pop culture. And I really don't know what we're supposed to get out of this. Do, do you? I mean, I wouldn't go... So far as to call it lowbrow, no, I, I, I mean, and maybe it's just because I associate that with a certain kind of crassness, like reality TV is lowbrow culture to me. This is something, this is at least trying to be a little better than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that's fair, but, I, but then at the same time, like RuPaul's Drag Race is reality television and I wouldn't consider that crass. Have you watched? No, but crass and it can't be. I guess then at that I point. Have but, watched. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Um, yeah, and, and not to and and I guess lowbrow isn't always a bad thing either because you know there are reality shows that I will enjoy to watch from time to time, and an amount of crassness can be fun and. And maybe that's it. Maybe this episode, if this episode was going to be, because this isn't a fun episode, and it could have been a more fun episode. I yeah, I I think that that highlights a good a good reason for why this episode doesn't work for me is that it it could be fun, but at every turn it takes the boring safe choice. I I I, I fundamentally think that the very the the cold open of this episode indicates that more than anything else, you know, what kind of episode you're in store for. It's about 30 seconds long and it's incredibly boring. 
and and what it essentially is indicating or what it's showing is this alien katay or katai that is getting pulled into this mouth of this giant creature but it, you have no context for it. you have no idea what's going on you don't know who this guy is it's supposed to lend this air of mystery or something like that but it just comes across as like what did i just watch and why is it over <laughs> in 30 seconds that, yeah. and you know but this is something that i've noticed with voyager especially in the brown and braga season that we've gotten to that some of the cold opens are obtuse to the point of being confusing and i kind of long for the days when they would give you a four or five minute cold open yeah no but I, at the same time you know this this is not really the type of episode that maybe demands that long of a cold open i'm not sure yeah but it just indicates well, to me that this this the, the writer of this episode was not necessarily interested in the this episode or at least not interested in a cold open but uh it is the kind of thing that feels mandated. But that's part of making the television show. Like, no, you have to break the cold open. That's the whole point of it, is to, like, someone flipping the channel after their last show ended. And they're <laughs> like, oh, man, this is cool. I'll watch this, you know? No, yeah. no, I know. But not every show's show does have a cold open. Some really do just go into credits. And this particular story maybe didn't lend itself to that kind of... Although... Yeah, I, I know. I, I think it might have been a better version to have the cold open be... Hey, we're discovering this thing. What is that? Oh my god, it's a wormhole. Wait, it leads us right to the Alpha Quadrant. Voyager, it's a voy- And then they go into the rest of the episode. Right, because I think that, you know, what what it kind of indicates to me is, and, and this is the kind of worst of Voyager, which is, it's it's competently done, they know what they're doing, but it's just kind of a sketch. You know, there's they're sort of like, they need another bit of oomph to get over the hump here and you know we have talked a little bit before about how for a lot of the writers of voyager this was a job this wasn't a calling they weren't like putting their a game into this and that's not to say that there wasn't some really fine work being done and i think that you know we have a lot of of writers on the show that are that are doing a really good job i mean you know joe minoski lisa clink um uh uh uh, who else brian and braga um, you know, a lot of people are doing really good work, but at the same time, they're not, there's, there's, a, there's an air of, we're just making a television show and we don't need to try and make something brilliant. I, yeah, it's just disappointing. It's like, go really outside the box. Like this alien is affecting the entire crew of Voyager. There seems to be this idea that they need to play this naturalistically because otherwise they would think something was weird but the entire conceit of this episode is that there is a bioplasmic organism that is able to give them their 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 exact wishes like really play that up you know make it crazy Make it really, really, really batshit. And they, they I mean, don't do that. It's all just like Chakotay comes into her ready room and he's like, I got a letter from Starfleet Academy that they've given me a full pardon and they're offering me a position <laughs> as a professor of anthropology. And you're like, what? <laughs> the I was about to say, I wonder what it would look like to have the original series do a thing where there's a magic alien that grants wishes. And I realized they already did. It's called Shore Leave, and that episode did go as batshit as they could. Now, I know I like right. Shore Leave a lot more than you did, but you will agree that they went, they they did try their damnedest to give us something weird and interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They did that. Like, do that again. Like, 
you know, and, and I guess that's really what it comes down to is like if you're going to make a type of episode that the original series did better 35 mm. years earlier, <laughs> then, then you should just scrap the script and like do something else because what, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. And I mean, there is the bit uh, again. I liked the sequence where they're where we're seeing them in their bliss state and then cutting between them unconscious and. Maybe if there had been more of that, maybe if the initial scenes had been filmed a little more saturated with color and had been a bit... Again, there is a... It's been rare that we've seen that much uh, auteurie in terms of direction on this show. Um, I mean, a couple weeks ago, Counterpoint was one of the more, to me, one of the more significant examples of them trying to do some really powerful sequences and doing it well the show isn't very directorly and maybe a more directorly version of bliss would be cool but it is done very standard star 90 star trek style yeah i i think that's fair i mean certainly i was about to say well you can't really expect a 90s star you know a 90s television show to, to do that sort of thing but the x-files was doing that yeah. kind of stuff and you know maybe it's a bit unfair to compare the x-files with star trek voyager but I also think that it was possible. It was increasingly possible to do that sort of thing on network television, but Star Trek Voyager, and and maybe this is an example, this is a meta-commentary on the long, slow de- decline of Berman-era Star Trek because they got very locked into a production style, and it was very difficult to get out of it. And, you know, as anyone knows that has done a job for a long time, you get locked in this stuff. I mean, Berman had been working on Star Trek since, what, 1988, 1989? Yeah. And he's not a creative, but he wrote a couple episodes and he was involved in some of the, the decisions. And Braga had been writing for TNG since 1990, I think, or 1991. Yeah, season so two he had been kicking around for six or seven years without a break. So I think that's a long time to work on something. And yeah, as much as I like a lot of the Braga, a a lot of the Braga era, this is not one of their successes. Yeah. And and it also seems a reticence to kind of go experimental and try a little bit more. I mean, this is an era where music videos were still happening. You could probably get some weird directors for pretty cheap at that point if you really wanted to make this a visual panache show that was not the interest right yeah they they definitely did not want to uh you know create any sort of visual interest they didn't want to make this to use your term an autori show directorially and and you know maybe they couldn't even do that you know star trek voyager couldn't get away with a lot of the stuff that once again the x-files was getting away with because the x-files was a top 10 hit it was getting a ton of money um in its budget and it it was able to take time and do things that were a little different and it was but, also and frankly the writers well, that were working on it were more talented and also the x-files is the first season is the first show of the x-files franchise voyager is the what fourth show of fifth show of the Star Trek franchise that also includes movies. So there is a lot more baggage and history and tradition behind Star Trek that wasn't as much in the X-Files. Yeah, I think that's certainly true as well. I mean, I, I think that, you know, whatever we say about Bliss and whatever we say about Star Trek Voyager, you do have to put it in context. And you know, it wasn't a success. It wasn't one of the better episodes of this yeah. season. It, it it was it was fine, but it didn't really do anything. And will I remember it in a month? Probably not. 
Well, that's that's fair. There are a lot of episodes I don't remember. <laughs> well, I, I do appreciate the fact, though, this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about when I say that Star Trek Voyager, like, I would like to have a little bit more personality, is uh, I love the fact that Seven of Nine almost always calls Naomi Naomi Wildman. <laughs> it's just such a nice little personality, a nice little character moment for her, and it completely makes sense that she would do that. Yeah, and... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like their burgeoning relationship in a way, sisterness. They're I, I, I like where they're going with the two of them. I think it's adorable. And I really did love again, here's a the show really knowing itself. Um uh, the very complicated reaction Seven of Nine has to Naomi saying, I don't want to be alone. Uh I really like moments like this. The show is really good at moments like that. Yeah, yeah. And I just wish the show would remember that it's good at moments like yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll walk away from Bliss. I won't beat it up anymore. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. We will respond to you, probably, if your comment doesn't suck. As I said earlier, check out our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you give us $5 a month or more, you will get access to all 29 patron specials. Is that possible? What? patron specials. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a lot of patron specials. As well as supporting our other podcast, Tuning In, this week. We are talking about the X-Files fight the future, the first X-Files movie that takes place between seasons five and six of that show. You won't want to miss it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Trek About Show is our username. And as always, Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. You know what to do. I say it every week. Just go do it, would you? All right, Richard. Are you ready for this announcement? Nope. Bye. Next week, for a very special Trek About, the 300th episode of Trek About. What? Holy yes, crap. Three, six solid years. What? Of Richard and Eric. Christ. Talking endlessly about Star Trek. Oh, my. Did you think we would make it this far? God. Oh, I my. I didn't think about it because I didn't want to. God. Oh my god. Just it's okay. Just breathe. Oh my god. Bag lying around. <laughs> oh my god. What have I done with my life, Eric? 300. Hey, it, we're, we're we're almost there. We're in the home stretch. Oh. 6 years of a 8-year project, I think, if Star Trek Discovery ever ends. It's appropriate that we're going to be covering their next episode on a big anniversary episode because it's a double length episode it features the return of some old adversaries that we haven't seen in quite a while in full force (gasps) i won't say who it is i know who it is because i looked at the next episode preview i'm sorry but it rhymes with gorg (gasps) we're gonna be talking about is it fraggle rock Yes, it's Fraggle Rock. We're turning this into a Fraggle Rock <laughs> podcast. I think that's great. My favorite was always Boomer. 
I never watched it. I was too young for it. Next week, we're going to be talking about Dark Frontier. 